Hello, this is Greg Wallander with Hall Render, and welcome. I'm here today with uh, my colleagues, Joe Wolf and Alyssa James, and we're here today to speak about COVID-19, and we're also going to talk really about the Stark anti-kickback and CMP, or Civil Monetary Penalties Laws, and their effect on, on the physicians and the patients who are experiencing hardships during this time. Uh, Joe and Alyssa may also refer to me as Wally, so if you hear that, don't be alarmed. There's not a fourth person. It's just the three of us today. And we're going to talk about the OIG CMS response to the issue of Stark and anti-kickback and CME in light of COVID-19. We've got physicians that are facing, facing hardships due to volume issues in, in their own practice. We've got patients uh, having issues with respect to being quarantined not being able to uh, get to seek care. And so we want to talk about what the government has done to ease some of the restrictions uh, facing them uh, in, this, in this time, in this pandemic time right now. So I'm going to ask Joe to kick it off and, and talk about some waivers that have been uh, released by CMS and, and their impact. Joe? Thanks, Greg. To get right into it, regarding the waivers, the government is referring to these waivers as the blanket Stark waivers. Uh, they were issued last Monday, so March 30th, and they provide us with some flexibility on Stark related to the COVID-19 response. Uh, the waivers can be relied on retroactively back to March 1st for Stark, uh, and they can be relied on actually going forward until the termination of the COVID-19 public health emergency. Uh, when that expires in the future. Uh, there, there is a parallel track. Friday, April 3rd, the OIG issued a policy statement saying it would not pursue anti-kickback enforcement on arrangements that are covered by these Stark waivers. That kickback waiver is designed only to be forward-looking, and so like Stark, the waivers, it will terminate at the end of the health emergency. So I think practically speaking, uh, if your wavered arrangement started on March 1st, you would have uh, Stark cover from day one, but then your kickback, you'd have some potential kickback exposure until the OIG statement was issued on April 3rd. So that's a way to think about how those two waivers uh, uh, concepts sync up for Stark and anti-kickback. Probably the most important thing for our listeners to remember is that uh, even though these are called blanket waivers, they're not just a free pass. Uh, I think if you wanna rely on them, you need to do some analysis. First, do you have a bona fide COVID-19 purpose to your arrangement? Second, does it fit within one of the Stark waivers we're going to be talking about today? I think third is about whether you have documentation supporting the use of the waivers. And so uh, I think in, later on the podcast, uh, Greg, uh, myself, and Alyssa are going to, going to step through some um, example exceptions and in, 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 in some of these concepts. Uh, for the first part, the government identified six COVID-19 purposes in the waivers. I'm just going to go through them really quickly uh, so that they're, they're on everyone's mind. Uh, the first is diagnosis or medically necessary treatment of COVID-19 for patients or individuals, whether or not they actually have COVID-19. The second is for securing the services of physicians and healthcare providers in response to the COVID-19 outbreak. Third is ensuring the ability of healthcare providers to address patient and community needs due to the COVID-19 outbreak. Um, fourth, expanding the capacity of healthcare providers to address patient and community needs uh, during the, this outbreak. 
Fifth, shifting the diagnosis and care of patients to appropriate alternative settings uh, due to the outbreak. And then fourth, a broad category uh, addressing medical practice or business interruption due to the COVID-19 outbreak. Um, and so they're, they're, those are the six um, purposes the government has identified, I think, as a threshold matter. You should make sure your arrangements fall under one or more of these purposes as, as part of uh, looking at any arrangement. Uh, the second part of, of the big analysis, I think, is looking to which actual Stark waivers fit your arrangement. The government provided 18 waivers uh, in their waiver document. Uh, we'll be touching on some of those during this podcast. At a very high level, some areas covered by the waivers included physician services, and that waiver covered payments to a physician that are above or below fair market value for personally performed professional services. There's a waiver for space rentals uh, that covers uh, equipment and, and space leases at rental amounts that are below FMV payments from physicians. And that's a more general waiver that covers payments received from a physician for the use of a healthcare organization space items or services um, for amounts below fair market value. And if you look at that one, the government gave an example of providing maybe free telehealth equipment to physicians so they could provide care to quarantine patients. Um, other examples include um, some uh, flexibility on, on the medical staff benefit rules. There's a waiver allowing the hospitals to exceed Stark's incidental benefits and non-monetary compensation limits. Uh, other waivers touching on cre providing credit to physicians and medical groups, physician-owned hospitals, hospitals converted from ASCs, a group practices and home health. Uh, we'll hit on some of those uh, in, in the podcast. Uh, the government is also providing some more flexibility on the writing and signature requirements for arrangements that are entered into during the waiver period. And so that's finding your exception. I think the third part is your documentation. Uh, if you have a bona fide COVID-19 purpose, you fit within one of the SARC waivers, uh, then you're supposed to maintain documentation supporting the use of the waivers um, that are available to the government upon request. Um, and so uh, not only do we need to do the analysis, but also uh, create the documentation we're going to need later on. Uh, that's a, a high level overview of, of how the, the waivers work, the, the, how the purposes set out um, some general parameters, and then how the ex exceptions in the documentation fit together, Wally. Great, thank you. Uh, Alyssa, you want to touch a little bit on, on what we're seeing with health systems and, and their employment of physicians? Sure. Thanks, Wally. Um, and thanks for that overview, Joe. That was great. We're, we've received some questions from clients, of course, who are still more in the preparation and planning phase that are, are wanting to evaluate, you know, what their options are if um, existing physicians' uh, volumes and productivity drastically increases um, as they as they respond to um, an in, a potential influx of patients in this pandemic response. Um, more frequently, though, I would say right now we're getting questions from providers who fortunately um, have not yet had that influx of patients in their facilities and have physicians that are experiencing decreased volumes, which may affect their compensation kind of as a whole. And so many of these providers have been evaluating ways to make these physicians whole or close to it in order to maintain that continuity of care and to retain those physicians 
if needed for redeployment during the pandemic response, or also just to have for their usual patient care services once this pandemic period ends. Um, one way to do this would be to enter into a written amendment potentially for any arrangement that, that the facility or provider may have with that physician or physician group, um, and perhaps look to historical production volumes or WRVUs as a benchmark instead of utilizing the current metrics, which may not reflect the physician's availability to provide services um, if the patients were, were there. You know, it's, it's really interesting with respect to the, the unprecedented uh, situation that we're in with respect to hospital uh, physician relationships and health systems really looking forward in, into the future and saying we, we, need, we need a stable physician workforce, we need this group of specialties to take care of, uh, of the community for emergencies, et cetera. And then overnight, practically, some of these volumes completely either shutting down or, or needing redeployment. It's such a unique time. And it's great that, that CMS and the OIG have recognized the unique situation are in and, and, and allowing health systems to enter into arrangements to to help out physicians who may be paid on productivity uh paid on those kinds of a formula it's just it's a reasonable thing to do during during the situation for sure i'd like to i'd like to transition a little bit into into space and equipment rentals which is another waiver uh that joe uh in his good overview mentioned we're getting a lot of questions with respect to health systems that lease space to physicians and in light of uh, the pandemic, there are real hardship going on with respect to practices. And again, what, what is a health system to do? Before the waiver, we were advising health system landlords to look at the commercial market, what's going on with, for example, mall owners, what's going on in the commercial uh, marketplace. That's how health systems need to act. CMS is now allowing that, look, during this time, you may be able to help out some uh, positions with below fair market value rent to to keep things and stabilize things as much as you can in, in the healthcare marketplace, which is obviously needed from a public health perspective as well. So I don't know if Alyssa or, or Joe, you got any comments, uh, uh, questions that you guys have seen on the on the lease side? Yeah, well, uh, Joe here. Um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, leases um, are, are an area that I know our firm has been getting a lot of questions about, as, as you mentioned, um, you know, situations where physicians um, are, are working through, you know, challenging back rent is, is one that's come up a lot. The, uh, the government seems to view this as an area where, where there, is, there is an opportunity for flexibility. I mean, if you go into the waiver discussion by the government, they, they talk about providing free use of space on a campus so physicians could provide the COVID-19 services to patients who come to the hospital but did not need inpatient care. So they're, they're, they're viewing this as an opportunity to be creative uh, in your overall COVID-19 response. Um, it, 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 this can be part of a broader strategy on, on, on the patient throughput and how you can ensure your, the patient population is, is protected from areas where, where COVID-19 may be more prevalent uh, to, get, to get safer throughput as well. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of opportunity to work with rates um, and to allow flexibility under, under real estate. You know, that, that's, a, that's a great point too, Joe. And, and you know, speaking of 
throughput. I mean, I, I empathize right now with the healthcare provider marketplace and what they're going through in terms of the, of the throughput. You know, we're doing this this podcast, uh, each of us from from the safety of our own homes, uh, and so some of the transition is can be a little awkward because we don't see each other. And we're doing the best we can, but we're not we're not facing the hundreds and thousands of patients and, and redeployment right now. So uh, folks we're working with are on the front line. So thank you. Thank you to all, all of you folks. And the throughput is certainly an issue. So, Joe, speaking of the physicians, you touched briefly on medical staff and non-monetary compensation waiver. Yeah, thanks, Wally. I mentioned earlier that one example of a waiver that's available is, is it allows hospitals to exceed Stark's incidental benefits and non-monetary compensation limits. Um, as people, many listening in today know, there's um, a cap of $423 for non-monetary compensation for, uh, for hospitals, and there also is a $36 per instance cap on, on medical staff incidental benefits. The, the government here is, is allowing some, some more flexibility under these two areas. Um, in the waiver comments, the government talked about, you know, the ability to provide meals and comfort items, things like changes of clothing and on-site child care for physicians that goes above the $36 per instance on the benefit cap for medical staff. Uh, and, and that's really a tribute, you know, linking up with um, knowing that physicians are going to be working longer hours and, and being able to, to um, provide them more support in that space. Government also talked about allowing for non-monetary compensation that exceed the, exceeded the exceeded the $423 uh, for things like uh, continuing medical education related to COVID-19, supplies and food and groceries, uh, isolation-related needs needs like hotels and meals, uh, child care and, and transportation. And I, I think this kind of goes back to what we're saying about the leases. Uh, this really plays into an overall COVID-19 strategy uh, as you're thinking about your staffing model and what more you, you can do to um, you know, uh, uh, help the staffing burden of your physicians. There's, there's lots of opportunities here to provide that food and support and, and, and um, hotels and meals. Um, as, as part of an overall strategy, especially as, uh, as you build up your surge plan um, and need to stretch provider uh, hours and, and, and provider uh, staffing more and more. Uh, this is an area that normally we might not have looked to, but here the government's saying this is you, you can do this kind of uh, planning and provide these, this kind of support. Thanks, Joe. Good, good overview there. I want to switch gears a little bit from hospital physician relationships to physician-owned hospitals. Alyssa, you want to chat on that a little bit? Sure, happy to. Um, so CMS has stated in their waiver and, and other guidance supplement to that that physician-owned hospitals, which typically are barred from expansion as of March 23rd, 2010, can, on a temporary basis, increase their number of beds, procedure rooms, and or operating rooms in order to be better equipped to respond to the pandemic and treat that influx of patients um, that may be anticipated due to their COVID-19 responses. Um, this would be a limited expansion opportunity um, and would not be able to continue kind of past the public health emergency period, um, but does allow physician-owned hospitals that opportunity to expand to serve the needs of their communities. Great. 
and quickly while we try to touch base on, on, on a lot of different issues. Joe, a little bit on group practices, physician-owned group practices. Yeah, thanks, Wally. Um, very briefly on, on group practices, there is a, a, an exception uh, within the, or a, a waiver that relates to group practices that um, provides more flexibility around this, what are called the same building and centralized building requirements of the group practice rules. Very, it's very technical, but does allow for these services to, to be provided to a patient in his or her private home at an assisted living facility or an independent living facility. So greater flexibility, understanding that patients may not be um, in, in that the same building or centralized building when care is provided. Um, the government in, it, in the waiver discussion talked about potentially furnishing MRIs and CTs, uh, CT services in, in mobile vehicles and vans or trailers in the parking lot of a group practice's office. Uh, to Medicare beneficiaries who would normally receive those services at a hospital. So again, the government being flexible here, understanding where care is, uh, needs to be performed is, is evolving as part of the COVID-19 response. Thank you. So finally, uh, let me wrap up here a little bit with respect to the Stark waivers, and then we'll get into some patient, patient stuff. So if you're faced with a situation with uh, regarding physician that might need, might seem uh, necessary to have some assistance, think about the waiver situation. You got to make sure you do it for a proper purpose. As Joe talked about at, at, at the beginning of the podcast, it, it can't be for an improper purpose, like doing it for referrals or something like that. It really needs to be related to COVID-19 and, and, and the waiver uh, document released by CMS outlines the proper purposes. So that needs to be documented. You know, if you still can meet an exception, it's preferable, but if you can't, that's when this, this waiver piece comes into effect. And ultimately, and, and Joe referenced this also, maintaining proper documentation of your proper purpose, the, the arrangement, why it was entered into, is something that is absolutely necessary because CMS, under the waiver, can ask for, for that at any time. So you want to be prepared that if you're going to take advantage of this uh, waiver, and, and I don't mean take advantage of, of it in the pejorative sense, but really use it uh, as needed then make sure you, you have proper documentation. So now I wanna switch gears here a little bit and, and talk about the relationships with patients. We just got done talking about relationships with physicians and now I wanna to transition to, to chat a little bit about, uh, about patients and, and the implications that are going on in COVID-19 uh, with respect to these fraud and abuse laws. I'll ask Alyssa to, uh, to take this on to, to start us off, Alyssa. Thanks, Wally. Um, the CMP laws provide for monetary penalties, as, as Greg mentioned, against individuals or entities who give something of value to a Medicare or Medicaid beneficiary, where that may be likely to influence the beneficiary's selection of a particular provider or supplier. When evaluating the provision of items or services to individuals, it's important to remember that incentives that are of nominal value, meaning less than $15 per item, and less than $75 annually are permitted and do not pose CMP concerns. However, if the provision of free or discounted items or services goes beyond that of those nominal value limits, it doesn't mean that you have automatically violated the CMP, but rather does present some level of risk that then must be evaluated based on the specific facts and circumstances at issue. The CMP, similar to the Stark Law and Anti-Kickback Statute, does have exceptions in place that protect certain types of incentives provided to federal healthcare program beneficiaries. 
One of these exceptions is geared toward items or services that are provided to individuals with a demonstrated financial need. Compliance with this exception is a bit more difficult to implement quickly, for example, in response to this COVID-19 pandemic, because it does require that the provider has a policy in place for how the financial need assessment will be made. Um, so for providers who don't already have that in place, it can take a little bit to kind of get the framework up and running there in order to utilize that exception. However, another exception, which may provide more flexibility and a more rapid ability to respond uh, by providers is the exception for remuneration that promotes access to care and poses a low risk of harm to patients and federal health care programs. We often refer to this as the access to care exception. And, and this is, is very broad and, and gives providers, both within the context of the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as just more generally, a pretty good range of flexibility as far as the types of incentives that they can provide to patients. We've seen some examples just in recent conversations with clients of, of types of incentives that they're considering offering to patients um, that I think might be a little bit helpful to, to walk through. And, and Joe and Wally, I welcome your kind of thoughts and input as well. Um, one example that, that we've seen recently is the desire of clients to waive certain telemedicine visit fees. With respect to telemedicine specifically, the OIG did issue a policy statement, so, so not a waiver or an exception, but just a policy statement on March 17th stating that physicians and other practitioners would not be subject to administrative sanctions if they choose to reduce or waive federal health care program beneficiary cost-sharing obligations for telehealth services during the declared public emergency period. Again, note that this is limited exclusively to the public health emergency period, much like the Stark waivers that, that we described earlier in the podcast. So those telehealth services, cost-sharing obligations can be waived, but, but it's on a limited duration of time. So any policies or, or other plans to waive those fees, providers just need to make sure that they have a plan in place to dial that back once the pandemic is over. Another kind of similar aspect, but is not covered by the OIG policy statement that we've seen um, is the request from pharmacies to waive delivery fees. Um, obviously with the goal to incentivize patients to stay home and decrease the spread of the virus. Um, this also promotes access, of course, to pharmaceuticals of pharmacy patients while limiting exposure to other individuals who may be carrying the virus um, and hopefully can keep those that may have comorbidities or other compromised immune system issues, you know, keep them home and, and able to get their pharmaceuticals without having to, to drive to a pharmacy and wait in line around a bunch of other people. Those are good examples, uh, Alyssa. I, I, I think in, in this case, you know, it, it, as you said, it's, it's different from, from Stark where CMS has issued broad waivers and so we're, we're dealing with things uh, a little bit a little bit differently but you know the oig has has stated that their their goal is is to minimize burdens on folks acting in in good faith certainly you know we see the news there there are frauds being perpetrated out there with, with respect to covid 19 and so there's some bad actors uh, out there the questions we're being asked generally by our clients are what can we do in, in order to uh, stay with public health guidelines. What can we do to to help our patients who are who are truly in in, in need? And there's there's really not what we're seeing an intent to violate 
any of these laws, but, but just to, re to really respond in good faith, not uh, uh, not infect other people as little as possible. So I think there's a lot of good faith uh, going on out there. If you've got questions with respect to to patients, again, know that you don't have a, a, any waivers per se, but you've got, you've got to act with, with, with common sense. Uh, Alyssa, any, anything? It, it seems to me that this is, this is more of what makes sense for quality patient care acting within public health guidelines, but then, but then not getting too far afield. It's always getting that porridge the, the right temperature. I think that's exactly right. One other example, um, kind of speaking more to the public health implications and considerations. We haven't been asked this question by clients or seen clients implement this yet, but I think this would be a situation that again would be ripe for that promotes access to care exception. Um, would be if a provider or supplier wanted to equip patients with perhaps you know non-medical grade fabric or other types of face masks or other personal protection equipment for more civilians, so to speak, to, to utilize if they need to attend medical appointments or purchase groceries or things like that. Um, again, to kind of try to, to thwart any public health um, or increase public health issues. Um, that would be an example of something that, you know, may otherwise be viewed as an incentive, but here seems pretty low risk in the sense of, you know, promoting access to care and imposing a low risk of harm. Great, thanks. Well, with that, we want to be judicious with your time. We appreciate you listening. Uh, and we'll be signing off here in a bit. Thanks again for your time. Again, if you've got relationships with, with physicians, there are some waivers out there. Uh, feel free to check us out on, on our, our website, www.hallrender.com. We've got some information for you in a special COVID-19 page. If you've got issues with, with patients, there's not, they're not waivers per se, but as we said, use some common sense. Thanks and be safe, everybody. Take care.